This is No Halos Here, hosted by Jen Lang and Jane Stark, the place to inspire a change in your consciousness to elevate the world. We're two heart-centered business owners nourishing our inner rebels while growing our respective businesses. No Halos Here is the result of bringing together an opera singer turned spiritual mentor and a marketing professional turned well-being coach to meditate daily. Together, we unite physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies into a powerful presence to lead, heal, and inspire. We love exploring the shadowed edges of life, the universe, and beyond through honest and thought-provoking conversations. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Halos Here with Jen Lang and Jane Stark. Today, we have a really fascinating and well-rounded, I don't know, experienced guest. Her name is Adele Anderson, and she is both an NLP practitioner and I'm going to say a brain science enthusiast. It's probably a nice way to describe it. And I'm actually going to hand it off to her to tell us a little bit about her brief introduction about how she operates in the world. And then we're going to dive into her NLP journey, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and I know she's going to explain lots about it. And then this is a two-parter episode. So today you're going to hear about the NLP and a lot of the brain science pieces. And then next week you'll tune in and we'll hear about some of her story and some of those, the other ways that NLP and an NDE, a near-death experience, has framed and shaped her life. So welcome, Adele. Nice to have you here. Yeah, it's so nice to spend some time with you ladies. Yeah, and I'm looking ex- forward to today's talk. Yeah, we're super excited about this. So tell us, tell us who you are. Okay, well, my name's Adele Anderson, and I am an NLP trainer. So I can train other practitioners how to become an NLP practitioner. So NLP stands for Neuro Linguistics Programming, and it was developed in the 70s by a group of um, linguistics, psychologists, neurologists, system study people, and cybernetic people. So it's a combination of a lot of sciences, but what it basically says to us is that the the brain is malleable. So the things that we have going on in our head, if they're not serving us, we can change it. Mm -hmm. And we know that even though we we talk about the brain and we think, oh, this has to be really complex. It's actually not. The brain is pretty simple if we know how it functions and why it does what it does. And so we can move into things as easy as choice. In our subconscious brain, the only purpose of our brain is to keep us alive physiologically So this is where the fallacy of only we only use 10% of our brain, rather than we're only aware of using 10% of our brain, (laughs) the rest of it's dealing with our, you know, our heart rate, our respiration, our body temperature, our metabolism, and all those other amazing cellular functions that we don't have to think about. And the other thing that it's responsible for is to be the best cheerleader that we'll ever have. It believes us 100%. So this is why these old sayings of whether we can or whether we can't, both Mm -hmm. are real. Right. Yeah. Very, very important. Thank you. That is a great start to what we're getting into. So my dog's very excited in the background. That's okay. Mm -hmm. She'll settle down. So when we, when would people use NLP for their day-to-day lives? I think that's probably a good place to start. NLP can be used in pretty much all professions because it's really based in language and communication. 
So not just the mind science of being able to up level or shift or change or neutralize an emotional entanglement, but it's really understanding how people communicate and why they say the things that they say. So we learn how to build rapport quickly. Rapport means that someone else trusts us. Mm -hmm. And this is the engagement that we have not only in business, but as um, friends and as parents in interacting with anybody. So if we understand that everyone has their unique style, so we get into the learning of what's called representational systems. So how people download their environment, how they download their experience of the world comes through their senses. So what they see, smell, taste, hear, feel emotionally and kinesthetically. Mm -hmm. And then that gets into the brain. It gets reorganized. It moves through our belief systems. It gets settled in there. And then we spit it back out as language. (laughs) So we tell our story. (laughs) And we tell our story in a certain way based on three out of five of those being more primary senses. So for example, you pick up the phone with your best friend and you start to talk and she says, I see what you're saying. Well, she could be a visual thinker. Someone else might say, I get you. So they're a kinesthetic thinker or someone, I, I hear what you're saying. And so an auditory thinker. And why this is important is we kind of have all had the experience where we meet some people and we really sync with them. And other people, it seems like oil and water. And your yeah. best friend will say to you, well, give it a chance. Once you get to know her, you're going to love her. But at the beginning, it kind of feels sticky. Well, it's because they're speaking a different lingo than us. So if we're a visual, auditory, kinesthetic thinker, maybe they're a gustatory, olfactory, kinesthetic thinker. And when we start to shift out the words that we use to tell every, every story that we're having and use some of the words that really penetrate into their brain naturally, so they don't, um, there's no resistance to them, then we have greater conversations. And then we can move into more that what's called the meta model and the meta systems. Um, We all have eight decision-making processes that are happening for every single thing that we decide to do, whether it's, you know, the socks that we're wearing this morning or, or the conversation that we're about to have and understanding how these function um, really, really great for parents Um, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. for example um, if you have some people there's one one of the meta models is called matched or mismatched so if you can think that 50% of the world is matched and I'll explain what that means and the other half are mismatched so when you talk about matched you're talking about similarities so people will say oh that looks the same to me as such and such So their brain is defining um, or comparing something that they already know something about to something that might be new. And that's how their brain collates that information and makes sense of it. But what happens if your child downloads information of the world on comparing differences? So that's different from that. So that's why it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So when we're communicating with someone in our language, naturally, I'm a difference thinker. So I'll, you'll, you'll just see it come out in the language. I'll say, well, Mm -hmm. that's different than such and such. Hmm. Um, And then you'll know that that'll give you a clue how you respond to somebody. If you want to get a point across or you want to bypass the resistance of your child's 
neocortex that always has a better, a better way of doing it, always wants to argue and use the subconscious brain's way of communicating. Because um, this just means that we're, we're, we are syncing with their brain. And so therefore the information goes in without resistance. We're coming from a different brain and so yeah. the way we communicate um, gives us different results. So we can go through a bunch of the different meta models, but that that's the essence of it is to start to look for these clues in how people are actually using their language because nothing is by chance. Right. It's the programming. It's so the programming. It's the programming. I have a question, but I think Jane's from no, go ahead. question. So a couple go. Okay. I'm going to hop in first. So is this something that is, learned and conditioned from upbringing or is it genuinely the way that someone's brain functions from from setup and question or a bit of both there's a bit of both um so for example a team player versus um someone who's an independent player it could be it could depend on what the circumstance is some people can flow between that but you may know a child that just would not ever be comfortable in a team sport and you can try to put them on the soccer team but they just don't want it they be want to be in the, on the chess team they want to be one-on-one with someone and so this is this is part of their personality so you, you kind of recognize the meta model as part of their personality um and then again there's some kids will grow into through time thinkers but there's another meta model that's called in time or through time so in time are very spontaneous so we see this in young children They don't really see the consequence yet. And this is why um, children and teenagers make riskier decisions than adults, because we've simply had more consequence. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) More experiences of consequence. Put your finger on a hot stove. This is going to happen. I'm going to eat that whole bag of chips. And then the next day I'll be really sad. Right. (laughs) I see that every day in my household. (laughs) So in-time kids are going to um, be higher risk takers and they're not going to necessarily see the consequence. So I always say if you're an in-time thinker, think about being dropped in downtown Vancouver where the sky rises are all around you or even better. How about Hong Kong if you don't speak Mandarin? So you can't read the signs, you can't speak the language and you don't know where your hotel is. (laughs) That's a spontaneous person right? A through time person, think of them as being on the top of the mountain, the top of Mount Everest, and they can see north, south, east, or west. They see the trail that got them to the peak. They know how they got there. And they also can see how they're going to go down the mountain. So they're, they're through time. So I, I get that. And again, is this something that is like conditioned or is this is it something that sort of that develops from an early from basically from in utero and then they have maybe have a tendency towards one or the other and that tendency then crowds out the the lesser mm-hmm. is that is that a cr- accurate description of how that might work yeah so some of them i believe are just innate just innate right. to themselves but there are a few that can be learned like the team player versus the individual mm-hmm. thinker, you know, a CEO versus, a, um, you know, an accountant versus a, a CEO, someone who sees the global picture versus 
someone mm-hmm. that wants to cross the T's and dot the I's. So we can become experts in different ways, depending on our environment and our conditioning. And in time and through time too, can we can offer those differences, but we're going to see certain age groups going to be more in time, like young uh-huh. children. They don't have that ability to know how they got to today and what's going to happen this afternoon. So that consequence part of it, um, the consequence of choice, which cannot be removed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to show you a pen here with a cap on it. And every choice has consequence, right? So when children understand through metaphor, which is subconscious brain process, these are ways to tell your child or show your child a lot of information and they will understand it easier if you put it into a metaphor. Mm -hmm. I'm using this pen with a cap to say, okay, you're making a choice. Remember that it has to have a consequence. And so this is the complete thing of what's going to happen when you make a choice. Mm -hmm. So um, again, um, you know, understanding maybe different age groups, different parts of the meta model are more likely to be in play. And other ones, we learn what our child or what our business associates meta model is by asking questions and then seeing how the answers unfold. Okay. So I'm curious with all of that, where does belief work um, and our conditioning come into play with all of this? Yeah. So consider those rose colored glasses. Okay. Yeah. So your belief systems rise up and, and they're, they're developing in the fundamental years. So if we look at evolutionary psychology, you know, um, a newborn to about two is safety, survival and security. Mm-hmm. So this is if a child gets left in the crib way too long and they feel like no one's going to come and nurture them, no one's going to come and feed them, change their diaper, then they could sort of develop an insecurity there. And then from two to 10, we go into love and belonging. So this is when, you know, we're surrounded by people that typically look like us and speak the same language, depending on the diversity of the family. So these are their first, um, the us and them comes into play, which is a very fundamental primal part of our brain of um, separation. Mm-hmm. And then when they become teenagers, you, you come into self-esteem and self-worth. So these fundamental parts of our development is where we get the baggage. <laughs> Got <laughs> it. It is called okay. emotional deficiencies. And they will show up in different ways. So somebody who has a deficiency, I know it's not a friendly word, but it's not such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Just awareness of where it comes, like what age group it shows up in. So for example, somebody has an issue around money. Well, it can be a safety survival security issue. So knowing where the work, where the environment mm-hmm. existed for that to come into their psychology. And so then we always look at the, the environment um, for the starting point of the work. And, um, you know, if it's issues with relationships and, you know, feeling that part of, am I, do I belong? Do I belong with it, uh, with a certain tribe that came in, you know, from two to 10. So we, we know that those issues and left and left unchecked. These are the kids that join cults that join gangs. Mm-hmm. Gangs are actually okay. extremely sophisticated in their psychology, they understand the need for love and belonging and love and belonging doesn't necessarily always have to be a friendly thing, but the belongingness, they will find a tribe that will make them feel like 
they belong. Um, so to understand how this comes apart, and then of course, self-esteem and self-worth, we work on that our whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody know? does. Yeah. And so we understand that at some point we became wounded mm-hmm. that for whatever reason, um, you know, unintentionally or, or otherwise we felt, um, not good enough at some point in that teenage to, you know, early twenties and our brain is still developing. So, you know, we, we still have a developing brain till we're about 25, that neocortex, which yeah. is, you know, the big thinker is still coming into play. So a lot of this stuff is really happening um, through development. So then we have a, a lot of errors that can show up, but, but now we know we can correct those errors. So if we're, can you take us through kind of what an NLP process looks like in one of those examples? So say the self-worth or self-esteem, like you say, you identify that, somewhere there was wounding in that teenage to 20s time how does NLP then work with that yeah so someone will come in and and I'm analyzing the language so the first thing I do is I want to I I run about 30 minutes in the first session to find out how their brain manages so I'll run through the meta model so I'll ask questions and then I'll, I'm, you know, I'll show them, um, say, three different types of pens, maybe a marker, maybe a clicky pen, and maybe a pen that has a lid on it, and ask them, are these similar or are they different? So I'll begin to mm-hmm. gather the data of how their brain processes information. I will ask them about their favorite things in three different categories. So um, with friends, with work, maybe with a hobby. So what things do you love? And they'll begin to show me their signature language. So the 20 most common words that we use to describe our world, and we can get into that because it's quite fascinating. Really, it really shows um, our mindset and whether we're leaning in the in the direction of fear and depression versus positivity and growth. Mm -hmm. Okay. so when we when we look at and and get this fundamental information, then, of course, the representational system. So are they using more visual words? Are they using more kinesthetic words, auditory? Those are the three primary ones. Mm -hmm. And and then I have like a little worksheet that I just keep on my desk that gives me probably 100 words that I can interchange. So I want to make sure that I'm including all the representational systems when I'm communicating, but more so I want to include more words that represent their brain. So for example, we haven't used a lot of auditory words today. So I might start saying, well, let's tune into this, or maybe we can, you know, Mm -hmm. sync with that, or I can hear the, um, you know, the tone in, in, in this meaning so that we bring in some auditory words so that those people that are in that type of thinking zone will start to feel like okay she's she's talking to me Mm -hmm. um so these are the things that i need to know before i can do the work right and and then we we move into a a process that is um typically you know a different brain wave so i'm changing their breath slowing down their breath so that we're um, changing the brain wave that is associated with relaxation and then moving into a visual type of process and using something that's called anchoring. So we can, mm. we can talk about all of those different things. To- we could talk for hours. I think there's like so many, it's like we, yeah. we're going to try, we're going to do two episodes about, there's just so much, so many er- different areas to, to tap into and to tune into here. Um, 
Okay. I, I have a thought or a question. A lot of our audience and the women that um, Jen and I work with struggle with the overwhelm anxiety. I mean, and that's all just growing right now, right? Based on the world that we're living stuck. Yeah. Being stuck in their life. How, how would you, or how do you work with, um, clients in the, in that kind of space, especially, and it's, it's women of, you know, I'd say sort of 30 to 55. Even broad. Yeah. Quite a broad age, Um, age range. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Do you have thoughts or experience or even talking to, um, to that sort of just the low level anxiety that we're living with every day. Low level anxiety. So um, understanding that thoughts and emotions are simply um, energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, when we start to label something then it, you know, it's in the brain, but I'd like you to just sort of um, think right now and say inside your brain, find, find anxiety. Like your brain can't really pinpoint it. Yeah, because anxiety is simply a word that we've given a bunch of sensations in our body, right? So if when I'm moving through a process, what I what I um, will do is we'll we'll bring up something that's bothering them so that the state is arisen in their body. And if it's too heightened, then we can do it in what's called a disassociation way. So I'd like to think about yourself sitting in your office today feeling anxious. Mm. And so again, that disassociation of just thinking about yourself somewhere Mm. is outside of yourself so again we're putting up this shield we can use um, a movie theater as a as a buffer so pretend that you're in a movie theater you're the only one sitting there and you're up on the stage or it's a movie about your life that's about to play and if even if that is too uh, tender then we can put you into the projection booth where you have all the dials to tune down the sound or shade out the the focus and have yourself looking at yourself sitting in the movie theater watching yourself up on the screen so that's a double disassociation and we use that for fear mm-hmm. the double disassociation that's a very common um, process in in that way and because we're putting a shield between the event and the feeling and we keep dropping these safety nets for the person to feel comfortable within exploring something that was painful. And then we can move into it and we actually look at where it's located in the body. So, um, you know, if you think about your anxiety and where you feel it, you'll be able to feel it quite quickly where it's in your body. And then we go in through the subconscious brain's understanding of it. We see what it looks like. So we go through all the things that are visual. Mm -hmm. The, the shape, the color, the, um, the texture, um, the density, does light move through it? We can use all these visual types of cues to, for you to identify what it looks like. And then we go through what does it sound like? What does it feel like kinesthetically? So I want not the emotional part of it. I want like the temperature, the weight, the stickiness. Yeah. Can you grasp it? Can you hold it in your hand? Is it drippy? Is it solid? Does it feel like tin when you tap it or a marshmallow. Uh, So we we move through all of that. And then we know that that's how the brain understands anxiety. So Mm. just like we used the metaphor before, an emotion has physiology, 
attached to it. It has a heart rate, a respiration, a body temperature. It has what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, tastes like, moves like kinesthetically. And when we change three things about that, your brain can't hold on to it. Hmm. It was only, it's, it's like if you bake a brownie, <laughs> that's a brownie. If you make an apple pie, that's an apple pie, yeah. right? So we can't change a brownie into an apple pie. Right. Brain can't hold that. And so by changing it visually, so we can run through, for example, a common one that I use, let's make pizza out of it. Well, I don't even have to say that pizza dough is white, <laughs> but usually darker, like um, negative energy is dark in color. Mm -hmm. We want to move it back into the brightness. Hmm. Um, you know, we want to change the color and the shape. So if I'm walking through it with, and the client's telling me, telling me, telling me, then I will morph it into something else. You know, maybe we might flatten it out with a rolling pin. Maybe we might heat it in the oven. Maybe we might cut it into slices. Maybe we might put it into the compost or put it into the blender. Yeah. We continually change it until the brain has dropped it. And then, wow. and then the anxiety simply leaves. You can do it in a variety of ways. Um, I, I've done lots of different um, ones in groups where, uh, you know, we want to dominate the RAM of our brain. So if we're feeling anxious, you can say the alphabet backwards. It takes yeah. brain power. <laughs> I've does. heard that one. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or random numbers. Our brain loves sequence and patterns. And even though we're giving ourselves the random numbers between one and a hundred, um, the system, the brain wants you to make two, three, four, five. So if you give it odd stuff, it drops the, it drops the anxiety. And the other one is the fire drill. So five things that you can see in front of yourself right now, four things that you can feel on the outside of your body, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. Thank you. And so all of these things are little tiny tools that we can do no matter what age to bring people back into a state of calm and feeling in control. Oh, yeah, that fire drill one I, I've used myself and I use it with my children. Oh, and nice. it, it, it is a it's a great interrupt, right? Yes. It's sort of that, and I, we talk about this a lot, the algorithm interrupt or the pattern, the pattern interrupt. interrupt where yeah. noticing mm -hmm. the patterns in our life and and and, and our thoughts and just mm -hmm bringing that interrupt in can just kind of jolt you. Yeah. And pattern interrupt is actually an NLP process. Okay. So there's a lot of things that we do naturally um, that are really understood through mind science. So okay. a pattern interrupt um, can feel a bit rude at times, especially mm -hmm. if you're in a coaching setting. But if you have a client that's going down a rabbit hole, you can say, oh, I've got a text that just came in and I'm, I've been something very, very important. I'm so sorry, but I really have to take that. Please continue. Mm. And then they start again and they go down the rabbit hole and say, oh, oh, geez, I really have to send this text. I forgot, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And you say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Really, truly. If you interrupt three times, they will not be able to remember what they were doing. And this mm. is, this is mm. important for people that are, um, you know, constantly going down those rabbit holes yeah yeah we, we need to give them an out so even mm -hmm. though it sounds rude and feels a bit rude when you're doing it it really does help them to break that pattern or people who are prone to rumination I think that would be very 
you know, very, a very helpful tool, both as if you're a loved one and you want to work with that tool and snap someone out of rumination, then if they know about that tool, they can also use it for themselves. You know, they're ruminating, mm-hmm. ruminating. Well, that's, that's why they say, you know, if you're stuck, go for a walk, you yeah. know, shift the energy, move it and change it up, change up the environment and change up the situation. My, uh, my personal pattern interrupt is either go to the kitchen and get a glass of water, like get up from my desk and pour a glass of water or go out into nature. Just go for a walk, take the dogs out and head out for a walk. And a more powerful way to do that, Jen, would be to say the alphabet backwards at the same time as you're walking, because you're changing your heart rate, your respiration and your Mm -hmm. body temperature through a physical activity. And now we want to dominate your brain. Interesting. Yeah. So you do that combination and, and the pattern will, um, be successfully broken. That's the difference between sending our kids out to play when they're misbehaving and then they come back in the house and they misbehave again because we're missing that important component of doing them together. Interesting. That's cool. I might try that later this week. I have one last question maybe before we shift gears um, and uh, for our next episode, but neuroplasticity so the mind science piece, I feel like neuroplasticity is a term that's thrown around a lot, um, even and becoming more and more mainstream. Can you talk to kind of just a little bit of what that is and how that, it sounds to me like that's very much what neuro or what NLP is or is rooted in. Um, but I just know for a lot of people, like we hear that term, but I sometimes wonder how many of us actually truly understand it. Mm-hmm. Well, it it just means that we're malleable. So we know through science that nothing is set in stone, that what we believe today doesn't necessarily mean what we believe tomorrow, or the pain that we're experiencing today does not necessarily have to be in our life for 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 a lifetime. Like I truly believe that we were never meant to live with emotional pain. It's not meant to be a lifestyle. That's (laughs) powerful. uh, And so just understanding that um, your brain is the most amazing processor on the planet, and we all have one. Mm -hmm. It is more powerful than any man-made computer ever created in this world. And it has amazing capacity to change and to shift and to grow and to develop in amazing ways. And even shifting into you know positive thoughts shifts shifts the way that we view our life and you know the the power in in the mind um is is one thing but understanding that the mind on its own is a limited organic thing we know now that um the brain to make sense of what the brain has in it we require consciousness Mm -hmm. consciousness they understand through amputation, amputation and anesthetology <laughs> is <can always> <laughs> not no longer. We used, they used to think it was just on the outside layer of the brain. Now we know it's outside of ourselves that we're actually transferring mm-hmm. information through this um, energetic way. And then consciousness itself requires awareness. And they say that awareness is the gateway to neuroplasticity. So in, if something is off our radar, how do we change it? Yeah. So when we have, when we go down a rabbit hole, 
because we know we will. <laughs> I don't know what we're chasing, but and it's not something. Helpful. Yeah, exactly. If we treat that as a gift to say, there you are. I just found something that needs a little bit of attention, a little bit of love, a little bit of um, compassion, and maybe some shifting. We become aware of it. And then this is where it sits in the neocortex for about 45 days. It's on our mind, shall we say. And then we can shift it. But if it's not in our awareness, then we have no ability to even know that it's there. So how do we tune into that? Mm -hmm. So we, if we understand the layers and then, you know, the in, infinitive nature yeah. of that, that we can get into that maybe in the next episode. I think mm -hmm. so. Yeah. That seems appropriate to, to bring into the next episode. That's, uh, that's fascinating. And so this marriage of NLP into this awareness piece, I think we will dive into more deeply cool. next episode. Yeah. Um, I don't have much, many more questions. I don't have any more questions around this round. I think what you've explained Adele has been so clear and so fascinating around the uses of NLP and how it can really be such a beautiful tool to move through our lives with more awareness, I guess. <laughs> it's a really great way to put it. And also it's awareness and the tools to heal and yeah. to, to move forward, right? To shift, transform and yeah. to cultivate more, um, more neuroplasticity. Brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, how freeing is that to sort of, to understand that we don't have to be in the place we're in. We don't, we never actually are stuck. Exactly. Yeah. And you can see it in the language and these would be simple shifts for people. If you feel stuck, start using, using words that have movement. Yeah. Right. That be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to move. I'm looking forward. I'm stepping into, you can begin to adopt these types of words within your vocabulary because everything starts through a thought before it becomes a word before it becomes body action so we, we start to turn those dials yeah that's Brilliant. a great that's a great little tip so maybe as we close out this episode Adele where can people find you and work with you or start to learn more from your work Mm -hmm. So my website is lifecoachadel.com. It's just being updated right now. Um, so you can dial in there, but just know that it might look different in a week. <laughs> I, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. You can just search my name, Adele Anderson, and it should come up. And then you'll see me on a pod podcast and mm -hmm. different summits, webinars, those type of things. And you mentioned at the beginning that you do practitioner training. Do you also do coaching? Do you also have coaching packages or uh, ways that people can work with you one-on-one? -on -one? I do. I do. I have series um, that people can come in for monthly um, sessions or sorry, weekly sessions over a month. So a series of uh, four to five, depending if you want to go for 60 to 75 minute sessions. And then I really encourage people to do a four month series simply because that is sort of the amount of time that it takes us to really change our behavior. And it gives us that continual step back into our power. It really is a self-love, um, you know, commitment to ourselves when we're wanting to experience true growth and development mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to say this, I'm doing this for me so yeah. that the rest of I'm my worth life. It. Yeah, exactly. Totally yeah. worth it. It's an investment yeah. in yourself. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we both said it. Uh, so yeah, this is this has been such an informative episode. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all of your knowledge and insights into, I find mind science fascinating. Um, I really hope, I think our listeners as well, it's, you know, uncovering these tools. There's, there's many tools that we can use. And this is, this is one of the ones that sounds just so powerful. So if you're listening, we are going to next week, have Adele back on the podcast, and we're going to dive a little bit more into her personal story and how she came to NLP and some really, really, um, I think what are going to be very fascinating stories of your journey. So tune in again next week to hear kind of part two of this, and I'm sure we'll be uncovering a few more tips and tricks using NLP. Thanks so much, Adele, for joining us. I so appreciate being here. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for these conscious combos. If you're ready to dive deeper, head on over to wearejenandjane.com to continue the conversation. If you loved this episode, please take a moment to share it with your friends or your network and leave us a review by going to Apple Podcasts. Find us on Instagram at wearejenandjane and let us know what you enjoy and what you would like to see more of. We'd love to hear from you.